0: Chapter Three of April's Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Foss. April's Lady by Margaret Wolfe Hungerford. Chapter Three. It was a lover and his lass with a hay and a hoe and a hay nonie no that o'er the green cornfield did pass in the springtime, the only pretty ring time. When birds do sing hey ding a ding, sweet lovers laugh spring. Joyce is running through the garden, all the sweet wild winds of heaven playing round her. They are a little wild still. It is the end of lovely May, but though languid summer is almost with us, a suspicion of a more sparkling sister, spring fills all the air. Miss Kavanagh has caught up the tail of her gown and is flying as if for dear life behind her come the foe fast and furious tommy indeed is now dangerously close at her heels armed with a ferocious-looking garden-fork his face crimson his eyes glowing with the ardor of the chase mabel much in the background is making a bad third miss Kavanagh is growing distinctly out of breath in another moment tommy will have her by this time, he has fully worked himself into the belief that he is a red Indian, and she his lawful prey, and is prepared to make a tomahawk of his fork, and having felled her, to scalp her somehow, when Providence shows her a corner round a rhodendron bush that may save her for the moment. She makes for it, gains it, turns it dashes round it and all but precipitates herself into the arms of a young man who has been walking leisurely towards her he is a tall young man not strictly handsome but decidedly good to look at with honest hazel eyes and a shapely head, and altogether very well set up as a rule he is one of the most cheerful people alive and a tremendous favourite in his regiment the hussars though just now it might suggest itself to the intelligent observer, that he considers he has been hardly used. A very little more haste, and that precipitation must have taken place. He had made an instinctive movement towards her with protective arms outstretched, but though a little cry had escaped her, she had maintained her balance, and now stands looking at him with laughing eyes and panting breath and two pretty hands pressed against her bosom mr Dissert lets his disappointed arms fall to his sides and assumes the aggrieved air of one who has been done out of a good thing you says she when at last she can speak i suppose so returns he discontentedly he might just as well have been any one else or anywhere else such a chance and gone never were you so welcome cries she Darching behind him as Tommy, fully armed and all alive, comes staring round the corner. Ah ha! Tommy! Salt! I've got a champion now! I'm no longer shivering in my shoes. Mr. Dissert will protect me, won't you, Mr. Dissert? To the young man who says yes without stirring a muscle, the heaviest bribe would not have induced him to move, because, standing behind him, she has laid her dainty fingers on his shoulders from which safe position she mocks at Tommy with security. Were the owners of the shoulders to stir, the owners of the fingers might remove the delightful members. Need it be said that, with this awful possibility before him, Mr. Dizzard is prepared to die at his post rather than butch an inch. And, indeed, death seems imminent. Tommy charging round the rhodendron, finding himself robbed of his expected scalp, grows frantic and makes desperate passes at mr legs, which that hero being determined as i have said not to stir on any provocation circumference with a considerable display of policy such as i say tommy old boy is that you how do you do glad to see me aren't you This last very artfully with a few to softening the attacks you don't know what i've brought you This is more artful still, and distinctly a swindle, as he has brought him nothing, but on the spot he determines to redeem himself with the help of the small toy-shops and sweetie-shops down in the village. "'Put down that fork like a good boy, and let me tell you how—' "'Oh, bother you,' says Tommy indignantly. "'I'd have had her only for you. What brought you here now? Couldn't you have waited a bit?' "'Yes, what brought you?' says Miss Kavanagh, most disgracefully going over to the other side, now that danger is at an end, and Tommy has planted his impromptu tomahawk in a bed close by. "'Do you want to know?' says he quickly. The fingers have been removed from his shoulders, and he is now at liberty to turn round and look at the charming face beside him. No, no, says she shaking her head. I've been rude, I suppose. But it is such a wonderful thing to see you here so soon again. Why should I not be here? Of course, that is the one unanswerable question. But you must confess it is puzzling to those who thought of you as being elsewhere. If you are one of those, you fill me with gratitude that you should think of me even for a moment. Well, I haven't been thinking much says she frankly and with the most delightful if scarcely satisfactory little smile i don't believe i was thinking of you at all until i turned the corner just now and then i confess i was startled because i believed you at the antipodes perhaps your belief was mother to your thought oh no don't make me out so nasty well but were you there perhaps so where are they asks he gloomily one hears a good deal about them but they comprise so many places that nowadays one is hardly sure where they exactly lie at all events no one has made them clear to me does it rest with me to enlighten you asks she with a little aggravating half-glance from under her long lashes well the north pole kamchatka smyrna timbuktu mauriland margate "'We'll stop there, I think,' says he, with a faint grimace. "'There, at Margate. "'No, thanks. "'You can, if you like, but as for me—' "'I don't suppose you would stop anywhere with me,' says he. "'I have occasional glimmerings that I hope mean common sense. "'No, I have not been so adventurous as to wander towards Margate. "'I have only been to town and back again.' "'What town?' "'Eh, what town?' says he, astonished.' "'London, you know?' "'No, I don't know,' says Miss Kavanagh, a little petulantly. "'One would think there was only one town in the world, "'and that all you English people had the monopoly of it. "'There are other towns, I suppose. "'Even we poor Irish insignificants have a town or two. Dublin comes on the dead-head, I suppose.' "'Undoubtedly, of course,' making great haste to abase himself. It is mass snobbery are making so much of London.' A kind of despicable count, you know. "'Well, after all, I expect it is a big place in every way,' says Miss Kavanagh, so far mollified by his submission as to be able to allow him something. "'It's a desert,' says Tommy, turning to his aunt, with all the air of one who is about to impart to her useful information. "'It's raging with wild beasts.' They roam to and fro and are at their wits' end. Here Tommy, who is great on Bible history, but who occasionally gets mixed, stops short. Father Sester there, he winds up defiantly. Wild beasts, echoes Mr. Dissert, bewildered is this the teaching about their sex and neighbours that the irish children receive at the hands of their parents and guardians oh well come now tommy really you know yes they are there says tommy rebelliously frightful beasts bears they'd tear you in bits if they could get at you they have no reason in them father says and they climb up posts and roar at people "'Oh, nonsense!' says Mr. Dissert. "'One would think we were having a French revolution all over again in England. "'Don't you think,' glancing severely at Joyce, who is giving way to unrestrained mirth, "'that it is not only wrong, but dangerous to implant such ideas about the English in the breast of Irish children? "'There isn't a word of truth in it, Tommy.' "'There is,' says Monkton Junior, wagging his head indignantly. "'Father told me.' "'Father told us,' repeats the small Mabel, who has just come up. "'And father says, too, that the reason they are so wicked "'is because they want their freedom,' says Tommy, "'as though this is an unanswerable argument. "'Oh, I see, the socialists,' says Mr. Dissert. "'Yes, a troublesome pack, but still to call them wild beasts.' "'They are wild beasts,' says Tommy, "'prepared to defend his position to the last.' they've got manes and horns and tails he's romancing says mr desert looking at joyce he's not she says demurely. he's only trying to describe to you the zoological gardens his father gives him a graphic description of them every evening and the result you see here both she and he after a glance at each other burst out laughing no wonder you were amused says he "'but you might have given me a hint. "'You were unkind to me, as usual.' "'Now that you have been to London,' says she, a little hurriedly, "'as if to cover his last words and pretend she hasn't heard them, "'you will find our poor Ireland duller than ever. "'At Christmas it is not so bad, but just now, "'and in the height of your season too.' "'Do you call this place dull?' interrupts he. "'Then let me tell you, you misjudge your native land.' This little bit of it, at all events, I think it is not only the loveliest, but the liveliest place on earth. "'You are easily pleased,' says she, with a rather embarrassed smile. "'He isn't,' says Tommy, breaking into the conversation with greater plump. "'He has been holding on vigorously to Mr. Dissert's right hand for the last five minutes, after a brief but brilliant skirmish with Mabel as to the possession of it.' A skirmish brought to a bloodless conclusion by the surrender, on Mr Dissert's part, of his left hand to the weaker belligerent. He hates Miss Maleficent, Nurse says. Though Lady Baltimore wants him to marry her. And she's a fine girl, Nurse says, and real smart, and with the git or the gap and a lot of tin. Tell me, says his aunt frantically. It is indeed plain to everybody that Tommy is now quoting Nurse, or Naturel, and that he is betraying confidences in a perfectly reckless manner. Don't stop him, says Mr. Dissert, glancing at Joyce's crimson cheeks, with something of disfavour. What's Hecuba to me, or I to Hecuba? I defy you, a little stormily, to think I care a farthing for Miss Malefant, or for any other woman on earth, save one, "'Oh, you mustn't press your confidences on me,' says she, smiling and dissembling rather finally. "'I know nothing. I accuse you of nothing. Only, Tommy, you were a little rude, weren't you?' "'I wasn't,' says Tommy promptly, in one the inborn instinct of self-defense has been largely developed. "'It's true. Nurse says she has a voice like a cow. Is that true?' Turning unabashed to Dissert. She is expected at the castle next week. You shall come up and judge for yourself, says he, laughing, and turning to Joyce. You will come too, I hope. It is menace to wait to be asked, returns she, smiling. Oh, as for that, says he, Lady Baltimore crossed last night with me and her husband, and here is a letter for you. He pulls a note of the cocked-head order out of one of his pockets. End of chapter 3